Welcome to the Dead Celebrities Podcast. In this podcast, we break down high-profile celebrity estate planning cases for advisors and their clients. Most celebrity estate catastrophes are based on the same issues that everyday people face, just with the volume turned up. Our goal is to identify and extract the individual estate planning issues that lie at the heart of each story. We then discuss what advisors should expect and how to avoid common pitfalls. Hosted by WealthManagement.com Senior Editor David Lenick. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the latest episode of WealthManagement.com's Dead Celebrity Podcast. For anyone new to the podcast, in each installment, myself and a guest take on a different celebrity estate and attempt to extract some key lessons that planners can apply to their more traditional clients. The idea being that celebrity estate planning catastrophes, although often ridiculous in their details, generally have at their core very basic issues that can just as easily apply to non-famous or fabulously wealthy clients. Joining me today is Kim Kamen. Kim is a principal at Gresham Partners, which is an independent multifamily office serving about 100 families nationally. Uh, Previously, Kim was a practicing trust and estates attorney at a large law firm for many years. At Gresham, Kim serves as chief wealth strategist, leading the development and implementation of estate, wealth transfer, philanthropic, educational, and fiduciary planning activities. Kim's also an adjunct professor at Northwestern University's Pritzker School of Law, is Vice President of the Chicago Estate Planning Council, and is on the editorial advisory board of Trust and Estates Magazine, the most prestigious position of all. She's a fellow of the American College of Trust and Estates Council, and has received a number of professional awards. She speaks nationally and has written extensively on wealth transfer planning topics. She was also the executive co-editor and co-author of the Leinberg Library book on estate planning for modern families. That forms the basis for today's podcast discussion. So thanks for joining us, Kim. Thank you. So the subject of today's podcast is legendary producer and talent manager, Jerry Weintraub. Though uh, perhaps not a household name on the level of, say, Robert Evans, Weintraub had his hands in some of the biggest and most impactful films in history. But he began his lengthy career as a talent agent, you know, helping propel an obscure artist named John Denver to superstardom through concerts, television films, and television specials and film roles. Uh, Weintraub is credited as the first person to organize and manage large arena concert tours for singers, which is pretty much just what touring consists of for major artists nowadays. He managed major arena tours for Elvis, Frank Sinatra, The Four Seasons, Neil Diamond, Bob Dylan, Led Zeppelin, Three Dog Night, and The Carpenters. So basically a huge who of music history. Following his years as a concert promoter, Weintraub began producing films. Among his earliest were Robert Altman's Nashville and Barry Levinson's Diner, which are two huge landmarks of independent cinema. He also produced the original Karate Kid and its unfortunate 2010 remake, as well as the remake of Ocean's Eleven and its two sequels, which made a little bit of money. After shifting to television, Weintraub won three Emmys for his work, with some notable pieces being 2013's Behind the Candelabra, which we've talked about on the show before, Westworld, and the much better than it has any right to be streaming series Cobra Kai. Weintraub died from cardiac arrest at age 77 in 2015. So now that I've read you his whole resume, why exactly are we talking about this guy? Well, in 1965, Weintraub married singer-entertainer Jane Morgan, who was 17 years younger than him. The two had four children together and remained married until his death. All that despite the fact that for the last two-plus decades, Weintraub lived with his longtime girlfriend Susie Elkins, who was more than 20 years his junior. Basically, Weintraub fell in love with Elkins, who was a fellow movie producer, and Morgan insisted a divorce simply wasn't necessary. She saw this situation as an easier alternative to avoid years of legal battles and the messy division of Weintraub's vast estate. 
And this was no secret dalliance. Weintraub and Elkins appeared in public together often. And the 2011 documentary about his life titled His Way even features a montage of his famous friends exclaiming how they could never pull something like this off. Pretty wacky, right? Only in Hollywood. But when you think about it, is it really? Modern polyamory is a term that I first came across while working with Kim on an article for our site and a panel we participated in at this year's Notre Dame State Planning Conference. It caught my eye because it seems just so evocative and silly in a big love kind of way. But it stuck in my mind because as I thought about it, I began to be able to identify more and more people in my life that live in arrangements that the label would fit. Now, Kim, I know you didn't coin this term, but you were the one who introduced me to it. So how did you first encounter these concepts? Well, thank you for asking. Um, I must admit that never in my bubble here in Chicago of practicing law at a large law firm and then five years ago joining our multifamily office here had I encountered the need to be planning for someone in a polyamorous relationship, um, nor frankly did I personally know anybody who was in one. But I came to this work because we published the first edition of the Modern Families book that you were referencing in 2017, I started being invited to speak to various groups about it. And some of those groups included multi... Um, so I personally had no familiarity with the concept either. But as I was touring around talking about our Modern Families book, I was invited to speak to some several groups, and some of those groups consisted of executives from single-family offices. I started getting questions about how do you plan for our clients who are in polygamous relationships? And at first, I was very confused. What do you mean planning for polygamous relationships? And I had seen the HBO series Big Love, so thought maybe they were talking about something like that. But then, as I was asking them more specifics about what they were talking about, I realized that they were actually talking about a Jerry Weintraub-type relationship, where somebody is in a long-term marriage and perhaps separated from that person, but doesn't divorce them. They end up with another significant other. And Warren Buffett is perhaps the most famous example of that. Um, Warren Buffett's story is that he married Susan Thompson, who had been his sister's college roommate back in 1952. And then they were separated um, to his devastation in 1977. Um, she was a singer and I guess was pursuing her career. Um, but the following year in 1978, she actually introduced him to a woman named Astrid Minx, who quickly moved in with Warren and became his longtime companion. And it wasn't until two years after Susan, his wife, eventually passed away in 2004 that he married Astrid Minx. But what, what these family office executives were referring to were similar ultra high net worth individuals who rather than divorcing their partner simply were bringing in another partner. And in the Buffett case, the Buffett's uh, Warren and Susan and Astrid would send joint holiday cards and everyone acknowledged that he was still in a loving relationship with Susan, although um, platonic presumably at that point and not living together that they were all on great terms and raise you know, had raised their children together etc 
so anyway, the, I, I was curious myself about this as they were asking me what to, how to plan for this, and, and I had never really considered it. So I started trying to do some research and found basically nothing written about estate planning for individuals who were in these kinds of polyamorous relationships. Um, I even had reached out to people in Utah seeing if they had any experience, and, and I just was completely unsuccessful. Um, and I realized that it's it's wide open territory and something that we absolutely needed to add to the new edition of our book. And it's it's really an interdisciplinary topic because it covers issues relating to unmarried couples, blended families, non-marital children, um, issues of parentage or adoption, perhaps assisted reproductive technologies. And it also ties in divorce planning. The philanthropist David Rubenstein, who was separated for a very long time and then eventually did divorce. So an, a planner could potentially also be planning for that. So anyway, Wendy, my Wendy Goff, who's my uh, co-editor of the of the book for for Steve Leinberg, and I gave it some thought. I had I started doing some work uh, for presentations and in outlines, thinking about well, what should a planner think about for these kinds of clients. And then ultimately, we recruited Lauren Wolven to do a chapter um, for our new book, um, since she had some experience in some of those related research topics that I mentioned. And then she brought in her associate, Carrie Harrington, to work on it, too. So the end of the story is we now have a chapter that made it into the new edition, and it makes the, the book even more comprehensive as a resource for planning professionals who may be encountering clients who are in these kinds of relationships. So first of all, I just got to say that I love that it was the single family office guys who sort of got you onto this. Just because, I mean, talk about people who know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> exactly. And also, I mean, in a perfect world, we would have done this whole episode about Warren Buffett. But uh, I, I made the mistake of naming my podcast the Dead Celebrity Podcast, and he has thwarted me by continuing to live. But as you mentioned... The, the concept of modern polyamory, it ties in and pulls in just a lot of different estate planning concepts. So presumably, not every relationship that would fall under the heading that we're kind of creating here is going to look exactly like the, the Jerry Weintraub, Warren Buffett kind of model. Um, what are some of the other variations that, that, that we could have here? Yes. So, well, the way that we define um, polyamory in the chapter is that polyamory is a practice or philosophy where an individual is open to having multiple romantic or sexual relationships with the consent of everyone involved. So polyamory really falls under a larger umbrella of, of this, of any kind of consensual non-monogamy. But when you're planning for this in an estate planning context, you're really not, you know, concerned about people who are simply straying. Um, you're really concerned about family where a member of the couple may have multiple amorous partners, and, and that requires special care and plan in the planning. So I know um, from my various friends and family in uh, in big law that a lot of times. They say when, when, whenever they, the few times they encounter estate planning issues in their practices, it tends to be with uh, the issue of longtime mistresses comes up. And this idea of, of trying to get something to this like member of the family kind of effectively without anyone finding out or just being fair to someone who was in a very lengthy relationship. 
Yes. To, and to finish really answering your question, you know, when you're thinking about what modern polyamory might look like, there are a number of variations. And one of those variations could be what you might think of as this traditional European mistress model. And I have seen that, um, or at least, you know, heard about it with some old money families where everyone knew that grandpa had a mistress and there were some side arrangements that are made for the mistress and her children, perhaps, you know, houses are bought, children are sent through school. And it was just very hush hush. So people in the family knew, maybe some outsiders knew, um, but it was just very bespoke. Um, so there probably still exists some of that as well. Then there's the Warren Buffett, Jerry Weintraub version that we've already talked about, where they the couple is separated on good terms, still very much married, but the significant other is also a life partner in public. It's not secret. Um, and this is what the single family office professionals were, were telling me that they were seeing. You know, divorce is expensive. There's lots of homes. There's plenty of money. Everyone's on good terms. It's just really not that necessary to get divorced. Um, then there's another version that we're starting uh, to see in the media, um, which is called a thruple. And this is a romantic and sexual threesome. You know, it's a modern day threes company. Uh, were they involved with each other? Um, but it's it's been fascinating to me over the past six months that I saw this both depicted in the Netflix show, The Politician. There was a final episode. I don't know if you've seen this one, but there, in the final episode, there's a New York state senator who's played by Judith Light. And she's trying to hide the fact that she's in a long-term thruple with her husband and another man. So that was... That was great for someone who's been researching and writing about polyamory to see that in that show. And then I was very surprised uh, even more recently to see another thruple in the Lifetime series American Princess, which has been canceled. So a lot of your listeners may not have seen it. But as a side mm -hmm. note, I was watching... Like we have with a lifetime of viewer audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, it, it's, it is available. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I watched it on Hulu or something. And, and the reason I was watching it is because Joel Stein, the the writer from Time Magazine, who just came out with another book that I was reading, is one of the writers on American Princess. And so I wanted to watch it and support Joel. Um, but it's, it was hilarious. It was about an Upper Side Manhattanite, an Upper East Side socialite who runs away on her wedding day and joins a Renaissance fair. But interestingly, at that Renaissance fair, there was also a, a thruple. And that was also a woman who was in a relationship with two men. I don't know that she was married necessarily to either of them, but the three of them were a thruple. So that's that's another version that that some that you might run into. Another variation is that you might see two married couples who are swinging and may actually form some kind of a family unit. They may live near each other, travel together. The kids may be kind of raised together, like siblings and cousins, uh, neighbors. They may they're probably not open about it, you know. But you know, neighbors may speculate. But if you're one of their planning professionals, um, they may want to you know share assets and resources and provide for each other. Um, and then there are other versions of open marriage or unmarried cohabitation, adults coming together to create and raise children together who may have various relationships with each other. Plural marriage, uh, as we had talked about at the very beginning, also you know, does clearly exist. Uh, that's the, the preferred term for polygamy uh, 
the the modern uh, big love type families or uh, sister wives, right? That was a, a common reality TV show that I never saw. But you know, presumably those plural marriage communities and and individuals who are actually in plural marriages are pretty very are pretty insular. So an estate planning professional may run into any variation of these kinds of modern polyamorous relationships. Yeah, and I know some of those people out there in our audience may be sort of rolling their eyes at this so hard that they fall out of their head. That, that was <laughs> my all, initial reaction too, which is what got me on the topic. But then, you know, the more I sat down and thought about it, and I'm like, what a silly thing. The more I kind of realized, like, looking at my life, I was like, well, you know, my wife went to college with someone who had, you know, her, her father came out as homosexual in, while they were in college. And then they stayed married to a mother and they both have boyfriends and girlfriends. And it's like every aspect of the marriage worked still. Yep. Except that the sexual aspect. So there was just no point in breaking it up. And it's just more and more things like that. I started to realize like, well, you know, we've put kind of a, a bombastic term on this, but, but there's a lot of these kind of relationships out there. But when you have clients come in, I think they're not just going to walk in and be like, hey, I'm in a thruple. You know, you're probably, you have to do some work to find out about them in this arrangement. So, so kind of how are some ways that, that advisors can try to like, you know, you got to get at this information to plan for it. Thanks. And you're absolutely right because many times a, a family or a couple that is in one of these relationships may not be comfortable coming right out and, and disclosing that at the get-go. But the advice that I would have for an estate planning professional is at first be very clear upfront when you are representing a couple about the nature of that representation. And typically those are structured as joint representations. So when we're having an initial meeting with a client uh, back when I was practicing law, sometimes we even would say, because we're representing both of you jointly, we can't keep any secrets and we would use kind of as a jokey example, you know, if you want to, although it's, it's a real example, but, you know, you say it with a light tone that if you're going to be wanting a divorce from your partner or you fall in love with someone else or romantically involved with someone else or having children outside of the marriage, um, do not tell me unless you want me to immediately tell your, you know, be obligated to share that information with your spouse. So if you are going to be keeping any secrets from each other, you need separate representation. So assuming then, you know, we're putting those secret relationships aside, when we're talking about modern polyamory, we are thinking of the, the Warren Buffett or the, the out-thruples where they, they are perhaps keeping it secret from some people, but they're generally open about it. So you can't really just come out and ask, you know, are you married to someone else or romantically involved with somebody else? But what you should be always doing when you're doing any estate planning or wealth transfer planning is asking about other important people who are in the client's lives. So when we are talking about estate plans, we never assume that they only want to provide for their spouse and their descendants. We'll ask if there are philanthropic causes or charities that they care about. We'll ask if there are any other family members or other individuals who may be dependent on the clients and needs their financial protection. Um, and we also will ask, as we're talking about testamentary planning, you know, is there anyone else that you want to provide for just because? And it's in asking these kinds of questions that you may learn about other individuals who are important to the client or the couple that need to be provided for. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, these are this is just all good practice in general. But sort of a lot of these issues, this idea, especially marriages of who exactly do we represent and, and who whose advisor am I, is something that there's often a lot of confusion about, even in in you know more traditional marriages. And so adding additional members into it simply complicates an already complicated situation. Absolutely. And depending on the level of their involvement, it presume, you know, it is possible that you could have appropriate waivers and do joint representation of all of the individuals who are involved in the polyamorous relationship, but it probably would be preferable for each of them to actually have some variation of separate counsel to at least go over everything with, because there are going to be inevitable conflicts. So, you know, we've had all the talk about what this means and how you find out about it. It's time to get down to the nitty gritty a little bit about, you know, these estate planning considerations that we've been talking about. What are some of the main considerations that, that, you know, if you are uh, encountering a, a client who's in one of these sorts of relationships, like what are the big estate planning considerations you need to look out for? Yeah. So, well, the very first one is you do need to understand whether or not this is a public or private arrangement. So the the media examples of the throuples I gave earlier, one was public and one was private. For the private one, you will proceed very differently. You, know, you gave the example of uh, Jerry Weintraub, how in his obituary, it said he was survived by his long-term partner. If this is a private polyamorous relationship, you'll want to make sure that there's no mention of the uh, of the other person in the obituary in the will, which is a public document, you know, you'll want to be very thoughtful about that. If it's public, then you don't need to, of course, be as concerned. But you do need to figure out who are the appropriate agents and fiduciaries. Oftentimes, the default is it's just the spouse. If there are multiple romantic partners, that's it could be more complicated. Should want the spouse be on some things and the other partner on other things? Should they be acting jointly? So all of those decisions need to be made and discussed. And it's for agents, fiduciary, guardians for the children, it may be the biological parent who's going to be the guardian for the children, but it may not. Again, it could be joint. You also need to consider whether there's a common law marriage for some of these relationships where it's polyamorous, but they're, they may be unmarried and uh, whether or not they're, if they're not already in an existing marriage, you could they have established a common law marriage with the with one of the the partners? Could, similarly, community property. If they're in a community property state, uh, you'll need to think about that. And then there's just a, a list of of other things to think about: the income tax return filing. Are they filing jointly with the spouse? And then the the non spouse is filing individual returns. Uh, transfer tax planning. Of course, you can only do marital deduction planning for a legal spouse, so you'll need to be relying on exemption planning, um, annual exclusion gifts, and um, payments uh, t- under 2503E for educational or healthcare expenses. Aside from that, otherwise for high net worth people, you could run into tax problems, concerns about joint accounts and unintentionally making lifetime gifts, concerns about beneficiary designations. Transfer on death accounts can be a very and beneficiary designations can be a very helpful way if you are trying to provide money on the side for the non-spouse beneficiary. Um, insurance trusts can be another good option, and we talk in the chapter a bit about um, the insurable interest question. And then finally, an estate planning consideration um, is the cohabitation agreement to to the extent that the non-married 
a couple is living together and and trying to come to some sort of arrangement. So cohabitation agreements uh, can be very, very useful. Yeah, it's unfortunate that there's no uh, married with a partner filing jointly. Box. <laughs> yep. Uh, I don't know if it's unfortunate, but it, it's, it's definitely <laughs> not in existence and may never yeah. be. I, I, I will. Imagine the I, loopholes. That can come. Yeah. I will say, and and uh, that there are some who are, you know, proponents of normalizing these polyamorous and perhaps even plural marriage relationships, who who are advocating for it and for marriage equality and marriage rights on that front. So, while it's hard to imagine it ever happening, as these things start to get normalized in the media, it's it certainly is is possible that someday there'll be a change there. Yeah, and other things you. You know, you mentioned there are a list of things. I do want to particularly highlight beneficiary designations. This is just sort of a, a, a drum I like to beat um, just because people don't think about it. And it's so super easy to get these right. And regardless of how many people you're in a relationship with, there is a shocking amount of estate planning that can be done just by getting your beneficiary designations correctly and by paying attention. Absolutely. So that's you know, just a lesson to take away, you know, separate from you know, what we just talked about is pay attention to that stuff. They, they really are important. And other than that, we are. Basically, out of time, Kim, thank you for joining me to talk about this really, I mean, out there, but I just think fascinating topic, and maybe I'm crazy, but really, thank you. This has been great. <laughs> Thanks for having me, David. And that's all the time we have, folks, and I will see you, or I guess you will hear me on the next episode of the Dead Celebrity Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Dead Celebrity Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to become notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InformaWealthManagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Support for today's podcast is brought to you by FS Investments. Finding income for your clients is tough. FS Investments makes it easier by designing solutions that help investors reach their income goals and secure their futures. FS Investments never settles, so advisors and investors won't have to either. Visit fsinvestments.com slash deadcelebrities and discover what it means to never settle. This is not an offer to buy securities. Investors are advised to consider investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing.